Welcome back to Venture Lounge. Nothing ventured, nothing changed. Our goal every week is to bring you the realest conversations with the Space Coast's most interesting founders and investors. Whether you've tuned in before or this is your first time, if real raw startup stories are your thing, you can support Venture Lounge and our guests by hitting that subscribe button. Yeah, man. I think we're uh, we're doing some pretty special, fun stuff here at the Venture Lounge. I mean, every time we have a guest, one thing they always almost always say is I've never said that before on camera. Um, so we're really creating an environment here uh, where people feel comfortable to share these raw startup stories. So uh, by all means, um, if uh, you're super excited like we are about what's going on at Venture Lounge, uh, subscribe and, and enjoy and enjoy the episode. Right. And just to be clear, Matt, if they're on Spotify, what do they do? I don't know. They subscribe. They subscribe. Right. <laughs> right. Well, how about you? What, YouTube? YouTube, right? Yeah, YouTube as well. Right. Subscribe. So, yeah, subscribe. Welcome to the Legacy Angel Network Venture Lounge, where nothing ventured is nothing changed. For Matt Hollmantaller, press 1. For member services, press 2. For real raw startup stories, press 3. For all other questions or concerns, please wait on the line in our next... Good evening, everyone. I'm Matt Helmantaller, and you're listening to Venture Lounge, after-hour conversations with founders and investors. These are the stories, insights, and conversations that you aren't going to find on the company website. Because the real lessons you learn in the startup world, the risk you take as an entrepreneur, the highs and the lows, the moments in your journey when no one else believes in you right before you break through. Those are the moments that you just have to hear for yourself. So grab a drink and listen in to the men and women who are changing the world. Welcome to the Venture Lounge. Cool. All right. So let me first kind of introduce our founders here. So the first, uh, Mr. Kyle Kennedy. Please give it up for Mr. Kyle Kennedy, please. Kyle! Yeah. So, um, so Kyle Kennedy, the founder, CEO of Seafair Exploration. Uh, really, really brief. We've been going down a path with Seafair now for three, four, four years. Four years we've been going down a path with uh, with Mr. Kennedy. Um, he is he has successfully turned a treasure hunting salvage company into a technology company, and he'll talk more about that later. Really, really cool stuff. Mr. Chance Glasgow, please give it up for Mr. Chance. Uh, Chance is the creative director for uh, Good Dog Studios, um, uh, ex-co-founder, co-creator also of the Call of Duty franchise, Mr. Chance Glasgow, man. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, and then Mr. Alex Buckles. Alex Buckles, yes. Uh, amazing founder, uh, even more uh, amazing of a human being, if you ask me. Uh, but he's the CEO of Forecastable, and, uh, and, and, uh, and just really glad that you're here tonight, Alex. And then uh, Mr. Charlie Lewis, founder and CEO of Blue Wave and Waterfall Ventures. Please give it up for our panel. All right, founders, are you ready for some questions? And actually, technically, Charlie, you could answer some of these too because you were also a founder. You were not just an investor. That's correct. I yeah, that is correct. You're both. You're a unicorn. Congratulations. <laughs> not a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, um, Chance, let me ask you, Ben. Sure. Um, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you have faced um, as an early stage founder? I think um, you know when you're addressing the majority of VCs. You know, there's some exceptions with some video game VCs, which are you know not that many compared to all the other VCs. Is they're used to this very kind of early, gradual ramp up to revenue. Um, but when it comes to video game development, you know, you're you're working your ass off 
hardcore for you know anywhere between one and a half and three years, whatever it would be for the project. Nothing, 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 nothing. And then you launch the project. It goes out on Steam, goes out on the Xbox um, store, goes in the PlayStation store, and all of a sudden you get this huge bump in revenue, like release date, right? And a, a lot of titles, you know, a lot of game titles, you'll get this huge bump in revenue and a, quick, and, a, and a quick fall off. And that's typically like the really big AAA blockbusters, like a Call of Duty. Everyone gets it day one. And so it's like, oh, we made $2 billion, you know, yesterday, and today we only made only made a hundred, you know, a hundred million or whatever, right? Um, with the very it's first, shame. yeah, shame it's just a shame. <laughs> uh, with the very first Call of Duty, it was actually the opposite because no one knew what Call of Duty was, right? We were twenty-two individuals that left working on Medal of Honor, EA Spielberg project to create a new franchise to compete with Medal of Honor, um, and so they're like, uh, "Who's what's Call of Duty? We don't know." And so when we launched, it was just like whatever, moderate sales, and then people played it, and word got out, people got into multiplayer, and it went from kind of the opposite of what games do, where it's like little sales just keep going up and up and up and up, right? Um, so to kind of summarize what I'm saying is that I think it was just hard dealing with a lot of the traditional VCs that are typically seeing revenue earlier, but a very small trickle increase, you know? And with games, it's just like nothing, 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 bang. You know? Very good. All right. Good, Mr. Kyle. Same question, bud. Like, like, uh, you know, what are uh, what have been some of the biggest challenge, uh, uh, challenges? As I mean, now you're 14, 15 years in. However, um, you know, you've you've reshaped your company in the last four years. So I think we could, you know, it's. I mean, what have been some of, uh, some of the challenges in in doing that? There haven't been any, Matt. It's been <laughs> <laughs> just a cakewalk. Perfect. <laughs> right. You know, the, the, the first difficulty I think most people face uh, is just simply uh, raising capital. And, uh, you know, in my past, I uh, had a broker-dealer, and I took companies public, and I took over 600 companies public around the country. And uh, the thing I saw that caused most of them to fail uh, was first uh, not being able to raise enough capital. Uh, they often came in underfunded, stayed underfunded <clears throat> until they died. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so. So that's so, funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> but, but beyond the uh, funding, the, uh, the next thing was the uh, management. We would have companies come in and, and uh, they'd have a great idea. Uh, but their management didn't know how to put it together to make it all work, and, and uh, they, they would come up with different problems, et cetera. In our situation, uh, our company uh, basically wants to go after uh, shipwrecks out in the ocean uh, that wreck with tonnage on them of, of gold and silver, and we want to go after wrecks that have never been found before. And the history of, of, of ships sailing from uh, Havana to Seville, Spain, is after Columbus discovered the New World, they discovered that there was gold and silver. And so starting in approximately 1502, the Spanish began to send down uh, ships, fleets of ships that would come down uh, and pick up treasure. Uh, they would refuel basically in Havana fix their sails, their leaks, etc., And then they'd try to sell non-stop from Havana to Seville, Spain, 
they would sail up the coast of Florida because of the Gulf Stream. And these big giant ships, commonly known as galleons, uh, could only sail at about four knots with all their sails. Well, the Gulf Stream is five, six knots, and so they couldn't hardly sail against it. But it was an elevator ride home going with it. All right, the one thing they didn't have was the weather channel. And they would be coming up the coast, and uh, storms would hit them, hurricanes would hit them, uh, and sometimes sink entire fleets. And for, for 300 years, they did this. Uh, they, 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 from 1502 to about 1810. And, and you got ships out there with not just tonnage. Uh, I, I was just reading today an article uh, of a guy pulling over 100 tons of silver bars just off of one wreck. And, uh, and, and, and he, he was a pirate. He found it in 1688. Uh, but but uh, there was hundreds and hundreds, well, in fact, there's thousands of these ships that sunk uh, it, during, during the course of this. Well, when these ships sink, woodworms typically eat the wood of, of the ship, and, and then it dissolves, and all the gold and silver and emeralds and all this kind of stuff sinks through the sand down to the hard rock. And when it gets to the hard rock, it stops. Okay, the problem has been for treasure hunters that they'll swim right over billions of dollars of treasure um, and not know it because you can't see it. And there's no equipment that shows it to you. And, and you know, the only equipment that exists uh, that can only see iron and nothing other than iron is a cesium vapor magnetometer. And, you know, you can put one little nail on top of five tons of gold, it'll show you the nail, but none of the gold, okay? So the, the problem was in building uh, technology that could see through ocean water, could see through sand, ground, seashells, etc., be able to see the item, and then be able to differentiate the metal of the item. And I, I talked to scientist after scientist after scientist uh, that just told me it couldn't be done, it couldn't be done, it couldn't be done. <clears throat> well, by the grace of God, I was introduced to Matt Helmentoler. And Matt says, I know a scientist that might be able to do that. And believe it or not, the guy had specialized training in some kind of geolocation, quantum physics or something wild, I don't know what it is. But he had experience of already being able to go after things like tunnels and people and targets and various other things for the military and had very specialized training in it. And he was able to develop technology uh, that could actually see through the sand and differentiate between metals. So now I can see an object and it'll tell me what that object is made out of. And we're just now using it on our first wreck uh, down in Juneau Beach, uh, which is a massive, massive wreck. Um, our archeologists that have looked at the wreck have said it's the largest wreck they've ever encountered. It, it, it's, it's, it's a big one, it's from the 1500s. We've identified some parts from it. But the difficulties have always been around one, uh, raising capital to keep a company financed when you don't have an income, 
and two, uh, for us uh, specifically in building advanced technology because we had to invent a beam that could see through and go through uh, salt water, be able to go through the sand and the seashells and everything else, and then be able to read it. It's like an x-ray. You shoot an x-ray, you got a film on the other side that shows you what it went through, and then now you can see your shoulder, right? So, you know, the last time we were here and I was pitching, my co-founder, we were supposed to be the one asking for an investment. He ended up investing in you because it was so <laughs> so, so So just That's to great. clarify, I mean, in your in in what you're doing, it's it's, it's raising capital, and then it's it was using a cesium magnetometer for years, and then now you have this really cool tech. It's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. just we just used it for well our second time. The first time we used it, we used it on a wreck that was from right around 1800s, and and we were hoping it was a treasure ship. It wasn't. It could have been <laughs> some ship carrying furs or lumber or some other stuff we don't really want. You know, and, so, but, but it worked. It showed us that there was no treasure on it, which is not what we wanted to see. So, but this one is different. So, so Alex, same same question as as Kyle. Um, Sure. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Just the biggest challenges for early stage founders. Yeah. Um, in general, like I could sit up here for hours and talk about all the obstacles that I've been through over the last decade of, of doing various startups and things like that. Uh, but to be relevant for like today, uh, so one, I'm in B2B software. So uh, software as a service or SaaS companies that uh, that's, that's what they're called. Um, and in general, like founders that get into the the software business today, have, I think the biggest challenges go to market. Like it's very hard to get in front of new prospects because like I know I don't like my inbox is filled. I don't already answer my cell phone. Uh, it's very hard to get in front of somebody um, and the traditional models of direct outbound and just you know hammering people's inboxes and hammering people's phones is like dying as we speak. And so, you know, as investors, you look at founders and you look at their go to market strategy. If they're investing, you know, solely in this, this outbound strategy and they're banking on that that model that is solely dialing, dying, it's um, it may not be it's something definitely to, to coach that founder on. Awesome. Charlie, do you want to take a stab at that for about 60 seconds? Yeah, I can go fast. Um, so I, I've, you know, I am a CEO and founder myself of a company, and um, I've started uh, two or three other companies and have sold and exited some companies. So um, I, 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 there's something that's kind of a common thing when it comes to raising capital, I think, and I'm a big fan of survival shows. And uh, does anybody here watch the Naked and Afraid ever? I don't know why they have to be naked. I just kind of think it's cool. <laughs> so, like, it's, I don't know why they're all naked. It's it, more for the afraid part, not the naked Yeah, part. right, yeah. It's Kyle's favorite show. Yeah, so, so I, I was watching Naked and Afraid the other day, and there was this girl, and she's like, so in collecting firewood, you have to get uh, what you think you're going to need for the night, take that, and then double it. And I was like, damn, that's actually a great analogy for a startup. Like, whenever you're raising capital for your startup, forecast and pro forma what you think you're gonna need, and then double it, and then you can hopefully survive through what they call the valley of death. But um, I would say capital is is the bottleneck. Capital, it's not just capital, it's cash flow. Like, I don't have an option to not make payroll, right? And so, um, making sure that you have the cash in the bank to cover payroll, right? That's that's what keeps the founder up at night. So uh, I would agree with a lot of these guys that raising capital and, and more than you need is how you really ensure that you're going to be a successful startup. So what, what were some of the, uh, just maybe one or two important lessons that uh, you guys have learned 
during your old your early stage like funding efforts like is there some lessons that you've learned like it like we do have some founders in the audience too um and we're taping this i'm sure we're going to use it somewhere in our media you know any lessons learned as you're raising capital like that you would you would kind of pass on and say yeah that i did that wrong that's uh hey alice i'll start with you yeah um so i would say just in today's environment with the economic downturn and the subsequent fall of uh, silicon valley bank <laughs> I think it's created a lot of like vultures out there. I had to turn down a term sheet today just because of the nastiness of it. Like people are out to get you as a founder. Um, not this group, like I, I love this group. Like there's, there's certain groups where they just are really founder friendly and they wanna see you be successful. This is one of those groups. Um, but now it's like they will take your firstborn child and, and you know, they'll give you onerous terms that'll make it difficult for you to raise in the future. And so young founders may be very susceptible to that and may not look at those terms and see $250,000, like, yeah, I'll take that, and then just do a really bad deal for their company. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot, like the tech space, you know, if you look at my space outside of video games, close relations would be, you know, blockchain, metaverse, all these different things, right? And I wouldn't say if I, I feel like I already knew this, but what I'm seeing a lot of people in the tech space do is you'll have business people, right? Like, whether it's, you know, uh, that, that'll, that'll, that'll co-found a company and it'll be a company that has a product, like a metaverse, like that software, right? And they'll have, you know, like five, six, seven business marketing people and like two or three developers. I'm like, you're not gonna have a product to, to, to market if you don't focus on the product first. You don't need someone marketing two years before you release a product, right? right? right. And it's weird how often this happens because, you know, you have, it's just what happens is something becomes really trendy, you know, like, you know, a while back it was VR, AR, then it was blockchain, metaverse, right? And there's people that just grab onto what is the new hot thing that people are investing in. And it's, they're like lemmings sometimes, right? A lot of the big time VCs are just throwing money at stuff because that's, we need something to invest in, right? And they just, yeah, they overdo everything on the business side and they have very few people working on, on product and I just don't understand that mentality. So I don't know if that's, I feel like I knew that, I didn't learn it, but right. it's something I see happen a lot in, in, in our space. Yeah. So you probably see this a little bit too. Mr. Kyle. Well, you know, the, 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 you gotta start with a premise. Uh, and the premise is you believe in something and there's a reason for doing it why you can be successful. And that there's a huge, uh, the potential that you can be a multi-billion dollar company uh, or, or you have some image of, of, of some kind of size that's pretty good size and so that when you are approaching people uh, you have to be able to give them uh, reasonable uh, thoughts as to why uh, you can be successful and, and when you're raising capital uh, you know all of you out here uh, have been approached, if, if not hundreds of times, thousands of times, uh, for capital, and it, it's hard to Probably read through. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's hard to read through the minutia to determine, you know, who's worth investing in, and, and so first you have to have something credible before you even start that process, you know, and then you got to be able to convince the person, you know, why is it reasonable to assume that you're going to win, you know, and, and, and part of that comes from creativity uh, versus competition. Uh, for instance, I would not want to invent the next tennis shoe, okay? There's a lot of tennis shoes out there, right? But if you could be creative and create something different, 
you know, like some kind of little hover device that you can't see. Okay, that'd be super cool, right? Okay. You don't have to be better. You just have to be different. Yeah, really for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, that, you know, that's my thoughts. That's good. That's good. All right. So, um, one one final question, and then uh, I'm gonna I'll, I want our, our founders. You know, you are three companies that we believe in. You are three companies that we support. You are three companies that we are currently raising capital for as well. So, after I'm done with this question, I want the three of you guys to kind of your three minute timing you. Timing, I swear to God, I will tase you if you take longer than three minutes. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I won't tase you. Uh, I have people in the audience that will tase you. Um, um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm gonna give you guys three minutes just to kind of like give us an update on what's going on in in your company and, and all of that stuff. But after this question, after this question, it only take about a minute on this question. What advice uh, do you have for other founders who are just starting out? I happen to know in this room right now, there are several founders um, who are just starting out or they're one or two or three years in. Any, any just quick advice, 60 seconds, you know, what have you learned that you would just say, hey, uh, this is my, my recommendation, this is what I've learned? If you don't already have uh, you know, a strong relationship with someone you're getting business with, you know, quickly, Try to build that because obviously, you know, someone can be very talented. They can have everything that looks great on paper, but you need to be able to work together as a, as a team really strongly. And you know, a lot of companies will just go out there and try to get all the all stars. You can't go out there and put like, you know, Babe Ruth, Jose Canseco, uh, Shohei Otani on the same baseball team and just expect it to magically happen. Mostly because Babe Ruth is dead. But you, I think you my point. Um, you can't just throw a bunch of all stars on the team. Yeah, exactly. Tom Brady. Can't put him on a baseball team. Yeah, it's hard. It did not work for the Lakers. All right. So, yeah, there you go. I'm going to say the first thought is probably uh, on uh, adversity. Uh, you know, everybody always talks about don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, right? And that's important. They talk about building your team. Okay, that's extremely important, all right? Uh, but I'm going to talk just quickly about adversity and handling adversity. And, and I, I had a, some kind of doctor tell me one time, not, not a medical doctor, a PhD, tell me that uh, he had a, a thing called an adversity quotient versus uh, a, an IQ. And he says your AQ is more important than your IQ for success. And, and I, I'm tending to believe him at this point in time. It, it's how you handle adversity because all of us are thrown challenges daily. And, and we got to get through those challenges, you know, to, to succeed. And, and so I've found it extremely important how you handle adversity. And then the, the, the rest of everything you guys already know, you know, I'm building all the right teams and doing all the right stuff and doing all your research and due diligence and on and on and on. But, uh, you know, how you handle adversity? And that's how I bet co-founders, too. I've, I've been through a couple of startups, and I've had co-founders that have not been able to handle adversity well. Um, and, you know, you weed them out because, you know, I've got a co-founder now that's been with me for, uh, for 10 years. We've been through thick and thin. And like, there's nothing we can't get through. Um, so that, that's, that, I think adversity is a big one. Um, my two cents on, on this topic is, is, as a founder, like, getting to revenue as soon as humanly possible. Like I, you know, in the software business, I'm, I'm kind of a perfectionist too. And I was like, I have this vision for our product and it needed to be right before I brought it to market. And it's like, you know, there's this thing called good enough. And you can get, make something that's good enough, maybe wrap some services around and get it to market, get some revenue in the door, 
Not only is that like the cheapest form of financing, um, but it's uh, you know revenue. Uh, but it'll make your early stage investor conversations you know just go much smoother. I remember some of my first investor conversations was like, hey, we got this awesome product, demos really well. Like, what's your revenue? Nothing, but it's an awesome freaking product. And like, <laughs> it just doesn't go over so well. So they need revenue no matter what. Very, very good. Awesome. So, uh, Alex, um, while, while you're, uh, while you're uh, just, to, just to cap off, give us about three minutes. What, what, what is forecastable? Kind of, kind of just, you know, give everybody your, your, uh, your, uh, your pitch there. I'm, I'm what that is. Sure. Um, so Forecastable is a uh, it's a it's a SaaS platform that enables sales teams to co-sell more effectively with their partners. Um, so in general, when you're a large software company trying to do very large deals, so let's say you're Adobe and you're trying to sell a twenty million dollar a year deal to Home Depot, you don't do that in a silo. Like you do that by calling up Accenture or Deloitte or other tech companies and partnering with them to create a whole solution that you can then go sell to Home Depot. Um, and salespeople tend to be very focused on their own commission checks and their own deals. And so as they're in these deals together, they tend to be very inwardly focused. And so uh, our technology allows them to align around a deal and visualize you know, the buying committee they're selling to and visually indicate who's in their corner, who's not in their corner, where they've got executive alignment, where they've got support. And they can kind of all operate through this single pane of glass regardless of what CRM they're running in the background. Um, and with uh, kind of that direct sales model going down and customer acquisition costs going up, um, you know, going through partners and co-selling in that fashion is the lowest customer acquisition cost um, that, you know, that you can deliver. And so that's what, what we focus on. Uh, I also have a nonprofit. Uh, I'm very focused on, on autism. And so, um, so even since I last spoke, we have like really major updates on that. I think we're going to have the biggest impact on autism in the entire country. Without a doubt. Uh, seriously, it would, it would be worth your time to go and talk to Alex about what he's doing, not just with Forecastable, but his why. I'm a big why guy. Like, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, um, what motivates you? What's your passion? This guy's passion is insane. And so uh, definitely, definitely tonight, grab him. Well, not grab him, you know. You know. Uh, but never mind. Good night, everyone. <laughs> right. uh, <coughs> talk to Alex uh, about, yeah, anyway. Uh, Kyle. Three minitos. I love you, buddy. I got to bust your chest. Everybody's got a gun pointed at me, but that's okay. Right. You know, Seafair, um, as you guys know, we've evolved from just being a treasure company to a technology company. We're inventing all kinds of technology. Sometimes the water on the bottom is just black and murky. We've developed equipment that can take fresh water from the top, put it on the bottom, and we can see perfectly, you know. We've invented equipment, and we're inventing equipment right now that's a handheld magnetometer type thing that is a handheld device. It just says, hey, here's the gold. Right there. Okay, so you're shoving along on the bottom, and it goes, it, there it is, and it says gold, all right? So the way I look at our company uh, is somewhat of a lottery ticket that doesn't expire, okay? Our company's totally different than most of the companies in the world, okay? And uh, so we're pretty unique in what we're doing. But it's the advances in technology, and we've been very fortunate that we're in a community where you have more PhDs per capita than anywhere else in the country. And, and this is going to allow us to continue to build technology. We're building a device right now, and, and, and I was blown away by this. You can put in the water, and it'll tell you if there's a colonial air, that's a treasure ship, a colonial air wreck within 50 miles of where you put the sensor in. Okay, now that's pretty cool stuff, okay? 
All right, now, ultimately, I want to be able to use it on land and go real deep and go in and find gold veins and silver veins and all kinds of other stuff, right? We want to put it on flying drones where we can see landmines going down a dirt road, right? Save lives, okay? There's all kinds of applications that we can do, but it comes from the technology, and we're very fortunate to be in a community where we have the ability uh, to capitalize on that intellectual knowledge. And uh, that sets our company apart uh, from anybody that's ever come before us. There is nobody that compares to us in this industry sector in the world, okay? And uh, not to say that they won't come along, but somebody's got to set the bar first, and then once you do it, others can follow, right? And uh, right now we got a head start, and uh, things are looking really good. We got a huge wreck down in Juneau Beach. We got some real excitement going. We're waiting on our last permit right now from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, or I'd already be digging this stuff up. And uh, the, the Corps permit will come in shortly. I've had uh, eight, or no, seven other Corps permits. This will be my eighth Corps permit. Uh, we're close. Um, I don't know what day we'll get it on, but it'll happen soon. And when it happens, we're gonna be out there in full force. And as soon as we get out there in full force, we're going to have all these film crews because we came across a very end of, um, a person that has all kinds of contacts in the uh, industry, the media industry, and um, there's huge production companies that want exclusive rights uh, to film us for the next couple of years, and they they've offered us huge money. Uh, for making the afraid? Yeah. There you go. Uh, anyway, that, that's where we are, Matt. All right. Um, so Good Dog Studios is an indie game studio, independent game studio, but we're staffed full of AAA veteran, which would be people that have worked on billion-dollar franchises like The Sims, Doom, Fortnite, Call of Duty. Um, and so we're basically making games that are you know, more on the scale of indie, yet the talent and, and what you'll see will look AAA. It'll look like, oh, these people worked on Call of Duty, Fortnite, et cetera, right? Um, we have a market-tested game idea that is a unique game idea that has not been done uh, quite this way before. It's basically a martial arts management video game. So if you played The Sims or Lurkmaster Tycoon, it's all about the management of your gym, right? What happens before the fighting? Uh, we had over 85% of the 1,021 market research part uh, participants say that they want to play this game, and this is like more than six months ago, and we've come a lot further. Um, and yeah, so we just have a lot of talent operating at the efficiency of an independent small video game company with the talent of Fortnite, Diablo, Doom, etc. and whoever comes next. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and then I'm going to say this, I'm going I'm to come back to you, Alex, really, really quick. Um, Scott whispered in my ear, by the way, that was really close to my ear. It was very warm. It did put a little shiver in the back. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, Alex, <laughs> no, it didn't. I'm just kidding. Uh, Alex, could could you um, just talk about the uh, the autism stuff that, that you have? Like, just kind of like lay that out a little bit because you did that at our last event. It was powerful. You just take like you know a minute and just tell everyone what uh, what you're doing with that. I can have like Kyle level time on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle um, size your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, so my son's in the spectrum, and, and I found out pretty early on that there's really not services after the age of 21. Um, and so, so basically, it's like, you know, what happens if I get hit by a bus? You know, what, what's going to happen to him? How's he going to go live an independent life? 
Um, and in, in order to live a financially independent life, you've got to have, um, you know, be activated in the workforce. You've got to earn your own money. You can't just depend on charity. Uh, and so basically, we want to create a program that would allow uh, individuals with autism to get activated in the workforce. So what's happened since we last, or I last came here was um, there's a company called Mentra.me. Uh, Mentra just received their seed round, multi-million dollar seed round a couple weeks ago. It's being announced in Forbes coming up. Uh, and they've got about 15,000 people on the spectrum right now that are in their database. They're kind of like the Indeed for autism. Uh, and they're working with large corporations to go get, it's like a two-sided marketplace, applicants, candidates, and then employers. Uh, but out of those 15,000 applicants, they only have 40 jobs. Right? And I'm like, well, it's because you keep trying to, to, to just shove everyone with autism into like a normal role, right? Into the average role and hope that, you know, it works out. And so what I'm doing now through my nonprofit is I'm going through and doing discovery with all these different companies and figuring out where there are pockets of work that can leverage an autistic skill set, um, such as like attention to detail. So we're very focused on this year recruiting real estate law firms uh, because they're in all 50 states and things like that. Uh, and we're creating custom roles that can be, be fulfilled by individu individuals on the spectrum. Now, uh, at the same time, uh, a lot of employers, I feel like, don't hire on the spectrum because there's like this fear of litigation. And it's like fear of what happens if I need to terminate. Uh, and so we want to be the employer for all of those individuals, so we kind of de-risk the direct uh, employment relationship. Uh, and so all of them will work through us. I'm meeting with the founders of Mentra in North Carolina uh, next month, um, and we're putting together, I'm putting together their entire revenue strategy, and uh, basically I'm going to feed them a whole ton of jobs, a whole ton of candidates, and I'm going to create jobs in all of the Fortune 1000 accounts they have. There's a lot of good engineers in the game industry that are on the spectrum. Like to me, that's when I find someone's on the spectrum. I'm like, I look extra into them because, like, it's like you're made to program. You know? like, My not, son yeah. literally wants to grow up to be a video game designer. There I'm trying, you go. To, like, I'm trying to tell him like, yeah, he doesn't know the, the difference between coding and playing yet. So yeah. we're trying to figure that out. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's shout out to him. That's awesome. All right, so uh, really quick, Charlie, I got a couple questions for you, man. Um, from the investor side. You know, um, you, you've been around the block a lot. Uh, you managed over 130 angels out in uh, Orlando. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, and, uh, and, and I mean, but you guys have had like some tremendous uh, success. Um, you have your own vetting process and all that fun stuff. So, uh, so let me just ask this. How do you determine which early stage startups to invest in? Um, and, and what are some of the key qualities you look for in founders? Um, so first of all, you know, we've decided to move away from syndication and I think this is kind of like you guys get to hear it here first. So I dropped some, this just happened guys. Yeah. Tonight. Uh, this actually happened today actually. So, um, we are actually launching, um, and we'll be public with this in about three weeks, but we're launching a $15 million early stage investment fund. Um, and we're going to go public with that and it's going to be a, 2% management fee, 20% exit carry, and 5% of the exit carry is going to go back into a 501c3 to be reinvested in the community with non-dilutive capital. So it's kind of like a for-profit, for good fund, which hasn't been done in the state of Florida yet, and that's pretty cool to do. But um, yes, I have done, uh, starting in 2015, uh, a group of fellow accredited investors and angels got together and pooled our capital, all founders uh, and owners, and we started investing and we just really got lucky in 2015 and we invested in a company called Fat Merchant or Stacks. It was our first big exit and, and uh, we did a 18X tax-free uh, exit in 2020. And so 
uh, we made millions, millions of dollars on that. And, and one of the things that I um, like to recommend to people is, you know, first of all, get involved with Matt. Matt actually has a really great strategy. You need to take, I always recommend about 10% of your disposable investment income and put it into some risky, risky businesses like these guys here. And um, one or two of those exits will pay tenfold on um, on all of your investments. The, the, the key is stay consistent. Try to get yourself over a three to five year period of time into at least 10 investments and then set on them and expect exits between five, seven and 10 years. And, um, and, and, and I think consistency and and making sure that you don't get overly excited and throw 100,000 at one and then 20,000. Always stay consistent with your amounts, right? Um, so now that I've said that, I'll get into the question. Uh, and so uh, I think that, um, I think these guys have brought up a lot of what I look for in founders. And um, one of the main things that we like to say is we're kind of betting on the jockey, right? You're, you're betting on the founders. And I always know the one constant with any of these startups or any of these early stage companies, whether they be pre or post revenue, uh, whether they are in, in growth mode, all early stage, we're talking about seed series A stuff. So the one consistent is they're gonna have to overcome some adversity, period. They're gonna have to pivot their product. They might have to completely reinvent themselves. But the thing that I look for and the thing that our angels look for is do they have the capacity and the drive to stay at it and stay in business? Are they going to be able to overcome when someone tells them no a hundred times? Whenever somebody says your market isn't a fit for the for the marketplace, your product isn't a fit for the marketplace, your advertising isn't working, you're running out of capital, can they survive? So I think you said it, adversity overcoming those Hurdles is something that I always look for in a founder. Do you have the grit? Because you're gonna need it, right? Uh, so so that's a lot of what we look for. And if the founder isn't there, I just, I don't even care about the product. Well, you're the wrong person to take this product to market. Um, and then if you wanna get into like the check the boxes type of qualifications, um, we do look at a lot of market trends, right? Um, you're right. Chance. A lot of times we just start throw money at some trends. Yeah, that happens. Uh, you know, I, I think that you have to really look at the entire marketplace and figure out where things are trending, where they're going, where is the biggest opportunity. I mean, we're in a complete, uh, uh, we're in a new era of AI right now, which is which is crazy. And I think that's our next. Um, you know, there was industrial revolution, right? And there's a lot of things that have changed our entire race. And I think AI is the next one. So I will be probably leaning into the AI space a little bit. I think bit that's, AI is different than the blockchain chain trend. The You're right, yeah. Like, like the NFT. I use it every day now. Bubble. That, yeah, a, yeah, everybody does. A giant bird told me, a giant bird, I mean, my marketing guy who's six foot ten, uh, that Alex, that that's an AI photo of you. That's not even like... It is an AI photo. I, so I've got a couple of opinions in AI I'm happy to talk about for, for the room. Uh, but in, in general, I think it's a cash grab. Like there's lots of technologies out there you can create photos from AI. And so I found this 
company in, uh, in, in Switzerland, a couple of young entrepreneurs, really like masters in, in data science, like really smart dudes. And, and I'm cutting a deal with them right now where I can be their distribution arm, so I don't have to go build another tech company. I can just do what I do best and like do B2B distribution. And uh, I have like lots of AI headshots now. Right. But, <laughs> but in general, for like those in the room, for like those in the room though, like in, in general, like AI, I do think is the next big thing. We're working on AI stuff at Forecastable, but like AI, like true AI is very expensive. Like, you know, you, it's not just about hooking up to chat GPT and like checking that box and saying you've got an AI product. Like building true custom AI models requires development expertise. You have to hire, in many cases, really expensive machine learning engineers to get it done. Um, there's a company I met, uh, I know a CEO of a, of a company that's raising a seed round out of St. Pete Beach right now. And he built a platform that allows founders to basically take, build AI models from idea to deployment in like days or weeks. And so like as investors, if you've got a founder that, that is looking at building an AI product and they haven't done it before and they don't know what they're talking about, you know, in general, question that stuff. Are they gonna go out and use all their investment money and burn it on expensive machine learning engineers or are they gonna iterate quickly using technologies like, like that guy's? All right. Hey Matt, uh, just real quick, since yep. they all brought up AI, I don't wanna be left out. <laughs> okay, we, we use AI, okay? And, 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 and every time we show a metal to our machine, the machine learns that metal. And, and as it scans the ocean floors, it sees these metals and it'll tell us what it sees, we tell it what it is, and then it learns that, and it's continually learning. And, and so what they're talking about with AI, yeah, that's definitely gonna be here like forever. And so, anyway, we're Beautiful. Also. No, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good. Um, all right, so Charlie, I got, I got another question for you now. All right, and then, and then we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna wrap it up here soon. We're gonna come, we're gonna yeah, land the plane, everyone. We're gonna land the plane. All right, here we go. Um, so, the markets are kind of weird right now. It's a little, it's a little weird, right? Um, how do you see early stage startup landscape kind of evolving over the next like two, three years? Um, well, we've already kind of talked about it. You're seeing some shifts and some trends, you know. Um, but I think, you know, specifically when it comes to like technology space, um, you're seeing valuations actually start to true up a little bit. I think there was a valuation bubble and now that is definitely correcting and it needed to correct because we, we were cruising for a reason even more if it wasn't corrected. Um, I think you're starting to see a lot more from an investor perspective or an angel. You know, you're someone who is an accredited investor and you're looking, where do I put my money right now? Like, I think we're all like, well, shit, where is it safe? Right? Like, the, you, you have all these big banks being bailed out. So is it safe in banks? Is it safe in, in the bond market? It's not, that's why the banks are failing. It's safe and forecastable. It's worth safe and forecastable. I'm getting there, you, you don't steal my thunder. I think that um, it's not safe in the public market. Forecastable right? I mean, accepts credit card everyone. I, I don't even open up my, my investment account. I, when, when, I, when, I, when I see my mutual funds and my financial advisor sends it to them, I tell them I'm take me off of the mailing list. And so I think, I think we're all looking for a safe place to put our capital. And there's one thing that I'll say that I actually think uh, a down market, a recession market, um, this environment is actually an ideal time. This is where people make millions. This is where people really become wealthy in these down markets because now you're gonna get realistic valuations. You're gonna be able to go in and 
really be able to make an impact through a group like Legacy Angel Network where you can place your capital and know that your capital is being babysitted, I guess for lack of better terms. Um, and I think that to me sometimes is even a less riskier investment than definitely in the stock market right now or, or even you know in the banks for the most part. But I think that um, I think the trends right now, it's gonna be a really healthy year for early stage investing. Um, but there are some corrections happening in big, the big VC pockets. They're kind of taking a hit, but this early stage is seed and A round where we have, we have the ability to influence the outcome of the money that we're putting in, especially if it's in your wheelhouse. If you know about it, I know nothing about treasure hunting. So, but you're publicly traded, so I'm about ready to walk out of here and buy some of your stock. But, <laughs> but, you but, should, but, uh, like a whole lot. Like, you know, I'm just back up the Based on what you're telling me here <laughs> with this, this, this permit you're gonna get. So I, I think this is a I think this is a good time. I think I think uh, you are able to move your money in a place where you have trusted people that are watching your investment, ensuring that the outcome is gonna be something you can influence. So that that's where I see trends happening now. Awesome. Awesome. Please give it up for our, our panelists everybody. Um, Guys, we're, we're so glad that you made it out tonight. Thank you for, for, um, for listening and, and coming out. And here's what I want you to do, all right? A little piece of, a little piece of advice, all right? For the rest of the evening, I know, every, I'm looking around the room. There's so many influential and successful people that are here. Thank you for being here. Something that's very difficult for us to do is sometimes is to just be where our feet are. Am I right? Sometimes you're here, but you're not here. This is a great community. I know what you're talking about. I know. It's, it gives yeah. Yeah. Be where your feet are tonight. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the community. If you have any questions about Legacy Angel Network, by all means, come and talk to us. You can talk to me. You can talk to Scott. You can talk to... Uh, but, but afterward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, we'll have different things kind of going across the screen tonight if you have any questions about membership. But I also want you to look at these founders. Come, come talk to Charlie. Uh, these are things that you can actively look at. You can actively talk to these guys. It's very, very rare. If you go on the stock market tonight, you go to buy a stock. You're not going to have a meeting with the CEO the next day. You guys can look at these guys eye to eye, face to face, and ask them questions. So take advantage of the opportunity. We're actively raising for all three of these companies. We believe in these guys. Um, so again, please give it up for them. Uh, thank you guys for coming tonight. And uh, what we're hoping is that there are enough interested parties in Vieira, uh, enough interested investors in Vieira um, uh, that are interested in this type of thing. Um, we we want to open up a lounge in Vieira. We want to bring an investor lounge here for the Vieira community. Um, so by all means, if you're in, interested in this type of investing and being a part of this type of community, just come see me tonight. But hey, blessings, enjoy each other, enjoy the drinks, and, uh, and have a safe night. Thanks, guys. <laughs>